Welcome to Self-Care Hacks, the short podcast for overwhelmed and stressed out women who want to learn how to take better care of themselves. I'm your host, Anita Ojeda. I used to suffer from overwhelm and stress too, but I've learned how to take care of myself and take care of others. You can too. Today's guest is Dr. Michelle Bankson. She is a lot of things. I'll let her explain. Well, we could start with what most people know me for, and that is that I'm a board-certified clinical neuropsychologist training in brain and behavior relationship, as well as the diagnosis and treatment of a lot of different mental and medical disorders. I always wondered exactly what the neuropsychiatrist, the neuro part of the psychiatrist meant, so now I know. You also have a popular blog. Tell us a little about what you blog about. You know, I blog about a lot of mental health issues, but primarily about um, our true identity in Christ and how can we get through adverse times and maintain Mm -hmm. our hope because of who he is and who we are in him. You're also an author. How many books do you have out now? I have three books out and the fourth is under contract and the fifth is being written. Wow. So the fourth is under contract and the fifth one that you're working on right now. Yep. You are one busy lady. Stay busy, but you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. One thing that struck me about you was that you also had gone through a season of caregiving for a spouse. And that's something that I had done. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, it started about 20 years ago. My husband was diagnosed with a very rare form of abdominal cancer. And when we saw the oncologist, he basically said, Mr. Bankson, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you need to go home and get your affairs in order because you've got less than two years to live. And we left that appointment and cried all the way home. Wow. At that point, we had one son and I was pregnant with another child who we uh, lost. But Mm. we looked at each other and thought, what just happened? Yeah. He underwent a very radical procedure. It's not done in too many places in the country, but it has become known as the shake and bake procedure. Okay. They, They cut him open from his neck to his belly button and took out all of his internal organs and bathed them in a hot chemo bath and then put them back in and sewed him up and then started him on a year of chemotherapy. And so that began really my second experience as a caregiver. My first was with my mother who had lung cancer. And then after she was diagnosed, my husband was diagnosed. Wow. Now he was only expected to live two years, but praise the Lord, Doctors don't always know everything and he's still with us, but he has since gone through two other battles with different cancers. And so I've been in the caregiving role a couple of times taking care of him. And at the same time, you've also been in the cancer role. Yes. Where your husband has cared for you, right? That's right. I've also been the patient two weeks to the day after I turned in the manuscript for my third book, Breaking Anxiety's Grip how to reclaim the peace God promises. I turned that in and two weeks later, we were actually on our way to see my husband's oncologist for a checkup. Uh-huh. I got the call that nobody expects to get, nobody wants to get. And I answered the phone and it was my doctor. And she said, Dr. Bankson, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but you have cancer and we need to schedule you for surgery. And Anita, wow. I, was, I was numb. I was like uh. in shock. I thought, wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait. You got the wrong person. We're on the way to an appointment for my husband. And I would not have been shocked if his doctor had said, "Mm, 
you know, we've got some stuff to deal with, but it was my doctor. And, and I, I must've gone into outer space or something because I remember hearing her say, Dr. Bankston, are you there? And I said, yeah, 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 I'm here. And she said, well, would now be a good time to schedule you for surgery? And I'm like, um, no, I'm going to have to call you back. Like, I can't think, figure out how to get to my calendar on the phone and right. go to this appointment with him at the same time. And I remember, Anita, we walked into the waiting room for his appointment and I sat there and I thought, wow, you have just turned in the prescription for how you are going to get through this season of your life. So you have a choice to make. Either you can go down the path into worry, fear, and anxiety, or you can do what you told all your readers you do. And that is to keep your peace and trust God through this. All right, Lord, this did not take you by surprise. I don't know how you're going to get me through this, but your word says that you know the plans you have for me Mm -hmm. and they're they're to prosper me and not to harm me. And they're for a future and a hope. So I'm going to trust that word and we're going to do this together. And we've been on a journey now for a couple of years. Isn't that amazing how when we ask God for patience, for example, he manages to to give us opportunities to practice patience. (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) Yeah. Book about depression, you experience depression. You write a book about anxiety, you get to choose whether or not you're going to experience anxiety or stay in his peace. That's absolutely right. So my next book, I, I wish it was about chocolate because I would like to experience more of that. But so far, he's not said yes to that, but I'm still asking. Well, it doesn't hurt to ask, right? God has a sense of humor and I'm sure he understands. So I know that after my husband received his miracle recovering from cancer because he also had a rare form of cancer. He had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and then it went to his brain. So it crossed the blood brain barrier and he circled the drain for several months and he miraculously recovered after a stem cell transplant. I spent the next nine months to a year depressed, mildly depressed. I didn't really know what was wrong with me. I couldn't understand what was going on because I was supposed to be happy because my husband had recovered. We received a miracle of all things. And here I was dragging myself out of bed every morning, really forgetful. I forgot people's names at church. I couldn't remember my students' names. I remembered I had children and when their names and birthdays were, but I was a mess. So why did that happen to me? You know, exactly what you're describing, Anita, is several of the common signs and symptoms of caregiver stress. Mm-hmm. Now, not everybody experiences the same thing, but when we look at caregivers as a cohort, there are some frequently occurring signs and symptoms that they're experiencing caregiver stress. Things like feeling tired and run down or difficulty sleeping. Sometimes they will over overreact to mm-hmm. minor situations that normally they wouldn't overreact to. Um, Sometimes they'll experience new or worsening health conditions themselves. And some people will see exactly what you described. They'll have trouble concentrating. They might struggle with their memory. They might struggle with energy level. Mm -hmm. And then there's others who will do things like they'll drink more. They'll smoke more. um, They'll neglect responsibilities that normally they would be on top of their game for. And many people will cut back on activities that they previously enjoyed. And sadly, 
many people who are caregivers will experience some level of anxiety or depression, or at the very least, some increased irritability. Yeah. So what you described is a perfect example of normal caregiver stress, but sometimes caregiver stress kind of goes over the line into caregiver burnout. Okay. Where I'm really concerned about people because we all experience stress. We don't always recognize that we're in a state of stress in mm-hmm. the moment. But when we go from stress to burnout, then we're really kind of seeing more concerning signs and symptoms. Things like having much less energy than we previously had, or it seems like you catch every flu or cold or illness that comes along. Frequently, when we experience caregiver burnout, it can present like feeling constantly exhausted, even when it seems like you're getting enough sleep. You might tend to neglect your own needs more Mm -hmm. and think that you don't have time for them. And so often your life revolves around caregiving, but you don't experience satisfaction in doing that. And then a little bit more severe for some people who experience caregiver burnout, they will actually feel helpless and hopeless. I'm hoping this episode today will reach those who are maybe new on their caregiving journey. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're experiencing some stress. And for some, they might be experiencing that caregiver burnout, but there is hope that we can offer them. What are some of the points of light, the, the hope that is out there for caregivers who are, you know, moving beyond stress and into the burnout and starting that downward spiral? The first point that I would make is that wherever someone is on their caregiver journey, it doesn't take God by surprise. The emergent situations that come about that make us take that caregiving role, mm-hmm. whether we want to or not, and, and that should be a point that we should make. Sometimes people enter that caregiving role because they want to, and right. others, they don't have a choice. There's no right. one else to do it, or they're in a place where they have to assume the caregiving role. Whether you choose it or not, you can still experience that caregiver stress and that caregiver burnout. But the one thing that has carried me through every, whether I was the caregiver or I was the patient, is recognizing that the situation, while it took me by surprise, it never takes God by surprise. And he does want to be our strength. He wants to be our comforter. He wants to be our provider. But it's up to us to choose to let him be that for us. Good point. We have to tap into the resource that he's offering for us and not do the blame game. Like, God, why are you letting this happen to me? Because there's always a bigger story and a bigger picture. Um, There is. And you know, one of the things that I have found being a neuropsychologist for over 30 years is that it's tempting to ask why, Mm -hmm. but even in the rare circumstance where we get an answer to that question, usually the answer doesn't satisfy So if we knew why our spouses got cancer, or we knew why a child died, or we knew why someone was in a violent relationship, it doesn't make us feel any better to know the why. So what I've learned to do is instead ask God how. How are you going to get me through this? And what do you want me to learn through it? 
And those tend to be more beneficial conversations to have. Not that God minds when we ask why. Job asked why. Exactly. It's just that the how and the what tends to be a more beneficial question to ask. Because it's moving us forward. It does. It moves us forward. Right. Right. But But back to your point about blaming God. You know what? I have found he's big enough to handle it even when we do things like that. His shoulders are big and broad. He's more concerned though about how we're doing inside Mm -hmm. than how we appear on the outside. And it's okay to cry out and ask for help. I was reading Isaiah 40 verse 31 recently where it says, those who wait on the Lord Mm -hmm. will receive new strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. But what struck me this time when I read it is I was reading it out of a different translation than what I had memorized as a child. And in this particular translation, it says he will give new strength. I meditated on that. I thought, you know, God doesn't expect me to rely on yesterday's strength. And I don't have to borrow from tomorrow's strength. In fact, other scriptures says, my grace is sufficient for thee. For you know, today. He, for today. And that's an important thing to remember. But there are ways, there are specific things we can do that will help us as caregivers. Mm-hmm. Always, always seek the Lord for sure. There are things that we can do for ourselves that I, I think is permissible. Okay. So what are some of those things? Like one thing would be to focus on the things we can control. Okay. When we're in a caregiving role, there is so much we cannot control. One of the most important things is we cannot control how the person we are caring for is going to respond. Exactly. So if we will focus on the things we can control right there, that decreases anxiety. Because anxiety so frequently comes from us trying to control things that we never can control anyway. Mm -hmm. So if we can recognize, I might not be able to control how they behave. I might not be able to control how quickly we can get in with the doctor. I might not be able to control how they respond to medication, but I can control what food I eat, how much sleep I try to get, how much physical exercise I get who I talk to and who I choose not to talk to. So really there are a lot of things within our control. And if we will focus on that, that's one of the most beneficial things we can do. But the flip side of that is to let go of the things we can't control. Right. So hold on and control the things we can, which are sleep, our food, our exercise, who we hang out with, whether or not they're bringing us down or building us up in our situation, and then letting go of the things that we can't control, such as doctor's appointments, how he's going to respond to medication or surgery, and the crazy people in our lives. Um, We can try to limit time with them, but we don't have to let their craziness control us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's hard sometimes because I like to think that most people mean well. Mm Mm-hmm. But not everybody knows the best way to go about showing that. Right. And in my experience, people will do things or say things. And I really do think their intentions are right. 
but it doesn't always come across the best way. Exactly. Like everybody knows someone who had cancer who cured it with garlic. Absolutely. Oh, you know that person too. I do. They talk to me. You know, if you just eat enough garlic every day, the cancer will go away because my best friend's neighbor's cousin, Bob, had that happen to him. Exactly. And you know, what's so interesting, Anita, is that the first time my husband was diagnosed, we were such novices. I didn't know what would be in our best interest to Mm -hmm. do and to say and not do and not say. Now that we've been through this multiple times, Mm -hmm. I'm more careful about what I say. I'm more careful about who I share with and I'm less likely to receive some of those um, well-intentioned, but not particularly helpful comments and bits of advice. Right. And that's part of caregiver soul care as well, if you will. It's recognizing we don't have to accept everything everybody says and does, and it's okay to state what we do need and what's not helpful. And if their feelings are hurt, we can let the Holy Spirit deal with that. I like that. What else can we do? As a caregiver, so many of us wish that we could fix it, but there's very little that we can fix, but we can set realistic goals. Like it might not be realistic to get a spouse or a child who is bigger and heavier than us into the bath or the shower every day, Mm -hmm. but we can make it a goal to do that more days than not. Right. So it takes the pressure off us from trying to be perfect versus living a life that's manageable for all parties involved. We tend to want to go into Wonder Woman mode, don't we? When we have to care for a family member. We do. We do. First of all, we don't want them to hurt. And second of all, we want to make their life as easy as possible in the most difficult of circumstances. But the reality is the only superhero in this picture is Jesus himself. And so the more we can remember that and extend ourselves grace, as well as the person that we are caregiving for, the better off we will be. Excellent point. Another part of self-care is thinking about the person we're caring for. Mm -hmm. Because I've been on both sides, I have a better perspective now than I did when I was caregiving. Sometimes the person that we're caregiving for is in a lot of pain and a lot of discomfort. And the longer that goes on, the more it can interfere with sleep, with appropriate nutrition, with their socialization with their relationship with God and with others. And it can be so easy to take the things they say or the things they do personally. Right. And I don't know what your experience has been, but I think it's pretty common, whether we're caregiving or not, that we tend to sometimes treat those we love the worst. But when we are caregiving, If we can separate the person that we're caring for from their behavior and recognize this is not really them, this is the illness or the disability or the pain speaking through them. Mm -hmm. I have found that when I can do that, then I can extend more grace and compassion versus when I feel like I'm being personally attacked or not appreciated. Well, then I tend to get a little grumpy. 
And right. then we just have a bad snowball. It's not productive at all. It's not, but it's funny how quickly we can lapse into those behaviors that if we were in our right mind and we were all well and rested and, you know, getting enough exercise and enjoying life, we wouldn't lapse into that quite so quickly. Although that's our human nature, I think. Just to revert to self and how everything affects me rather than putting ourselves in the other person's shoe or shoes and thinking about what might be behind their behavior. When we're in a caregiving role, I know at times this is really difficult, or at least it was for me, but we owe it to ourselves and we owe it to the person that we're caring for to maintain our own personal relationships. For me, I found that I tended to put those on the back burner because Mm -hmm. I was so focused on my sick husband. Right. But we need those relationships because the encouragers and the caregivers need to fill up our own tank, if you will, with encouragement from others. Because, you know, scripture says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, if we encourage and encourage and encourage and care give, but we're never getting filled up, all of a sudden what's coming out is not so pretty. Exactly. And it's not selfish to maintain those relationships. It actually makes us better caregiver if we will take the time to still maintain those people who feed into us. And don't be afraid to take a little time to pamper yourself as a caregiver. Mm-hmm. Now, wouldn't it be great if we could all take a day a week and go for a spa treatment or something? That would be lovely. <laughs> I never found that to be possible. Yeah, me neither. But sometimes it's the littlest things that will bring the joy. Something Mm -hmm. as simple as you have to go out to the grocery store anyway. So add that $9 bouquet of fresh flowers once every couple of weeks. Right. You know, if if you get the wildflower mix, they last for a long time. They do. And every day you see it, it's a source of joy. You can do things like after your loved one, is situated, they've been fed, they've been bathed, they're in their easy chair, go take a 20 minute bath. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how a bath with a candle and a nice scent will relax us enough that when we come out, we're a prettier person. And I don't mean on the outside, but to be able to love on that caregiver, because we took just a few minutes to relax. We're not talking a whole spa day. And it's okay to take a few minutes each day and go for a walk. Now, in the most extreme cases, you might not be able to leave your loved one in home by yourself, right? but you could walk around the home on the outside, you know, and do that three or four times a day for 10 minutes. It's surprising how it will feed your soul. That's an excellent point. Yeah. We don't have to take all the time all at once. Right. Just be five minute portions throughout the day here and there. Did you find that journaling helped you at all? Some, but in all transparency, I had so many people who said, you should journal through this. You're going to want to remember this. And for me, Uh I tended to find it to be more of a burden. Right. By the time I could spend time on journaling more often than not, I just wanted to turn the light off and go to sleep, but I did journal some. And what I really journaled more than anything when I did journal was prayers. Yeah, I just needed to get it out and on paper, not that God needs me to write it down to hear my Mm -hmm. prayers, but it was cathartic. Yeah, because you're you're getting it out and you can read over it later and say, wow, 
God really came through in a big way. I don't even remember asking, but he came through in a big way. And honestly, I wish I had journaled more, Mm -hmm. but I have just felt like my plate was so full being a young mom and trying to work at the same time. To me, it felt like a burden, but all my friends were right because I look back and think, I wish I had journaled more. Now you just write books while you're caregiving and needing (laughs) care. (laughs) That too. Yeah. That in a way that's cathartic. Let me tell you. Oh yeah. I can imagine. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Michelle. I really appreciated talking to you and your wisdom will be invaluable for people, no matter what stage of caregiving they find themselves in. And hopefully they won't fall apart afterwards, like myself and other friends I know have done because it is rough. And if we're not paying attention to those little signs and our needs throughout the caregiving journey, then the after effects of the caregiving journey can last years, decades, longer than they need to. It can. And you know, Anita, there is nothing wrong with a caregiver seeking out a counselor or a therapist just to have a safe place to say how hard it is. Yeah. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. To me, that's an opportunity to take care of yourself and get it all out so that you're not taking it all out on the loved one that you're caring for. Exactly. Exactly. That's a very good point. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And it was great talking to you and let us, let me know when your next book comes out and maybe we can do another interview. I will do that. I would love to. Thanks for your time. Here's a recap of Dr. Michelle's self-care hacks for caregivers and pretty much everyone. Hack number one, learn to let go of what we can't control. Hack number two, set realistic goals. Hack number three, extend grace to yourself and to others. Hack number four, separate the person you care for from their behavior. Hack number five, maintain your own personal relationships. Hack number six, take time to pamper yourself on occasion. Hack number seven, seek counseling if you feel overwhelmed. Come back next week when I share hacks for dealing with family over the holidays and with Thanksgiving and Christmas right around the corner, who hasn't started to worry about what to do with crazy Uncle Bob or the racist remarks that Aunt Edna always seems to make around the dinner table? Take care of yourselves, my friends. You are worth it. You can find me at selfcarehacks.net or check out the show notes for links to my social media accounts. If you enjoyed this podcast, take the time to tell a friend. Together we can build each other up and teach each other how to take better care of ourselves. I'll see you here next Tuesday with more self-care hacks to help you overcome the overwhelm.